We want to thank you for following the Looking Forward Our Way podcast. Do you know we also have a newsletter? Our goal with the newsletter is to never waste your time or fill your inbox with email landfill. Each newsletter is quick and easy to read, and it keeps you updated on what we're working on as well as what's coming up in the next episode of the podcast. You'll see some newsletter items come and go, but we will always be respectful of your time and inbox clutter. And we always encourage recycling, so please send the newsletter along to a friend or family member. Sign up by clicking on the link in the show notes or go to our website, lookingforwardourway.com. Thanks again for following and listening to Looking Forward Our Way. You know, we used to put... diversity into the context of just physical differences and it was race gender ethnicity sexual orientation and in business we historically would say oh well here comes affirmative action here comes this next wave of government mandate and so a lot of folks think that diversity is simply hitting targets or hitting numbers and that makes us diverse and the truth is that's not what it was about to begin with and it's not where we're at today and certainly Business and younger generations have embraced the concept of, well, I want to be diverse because I'm unique in how I show up, and I want you to build a place that I can work and a community that I can work that allows me to be myself, regardless of race, gender, sexual orientation, but also my personal experiences and my socioeconomic background. And so diversity has gone from, you know, we were just looking at data and numbers to where we should have been. 40 or 50 years ago to appreciating people for their uniquenesses and then building the work environment and the community around those uniquenesses. We are looking forward our way from Studio C in the 511 Studios. Hi, this is Brett, and with me as always is Carol. So we got a great one today. We do. It's an, going to be an incredible episode for our listeners. You know, over the past year, Our world has taken so many different, very critical paths. Today, we want to discuss diversity and inclusion in our workplace, how the issues have developed over time, and the opportunities to pursue for our future. So let me please introduce our wonderful guests, great friends. Courtney Kerrigan is the CEO and executive trainer for Raising the Bar Performance Group, And Tim Harmon is the Senior Consultant for the Workforce Innovation Center. Thank you both so much for coming to see us today. Thank you for having us. Thank you. Let's provide our listeners with an overview of each other's background and and your current position. So, Courtney, go first. So, hi, everyone. Thank you again for having me, Carol and Brett. I'm Courtney Kerrigan, and I am the CEO of Raising a Bar Performance Group. I'm a former nonprofit executive, um, originally coming from Toledo, Ohio. We are a scrappy city. We have grit, and I went to University of Cincinnati where I went to college and ended up working at my alma mater um, in student affairs and services before moving to Columbus the end of 2005 to become a director at the YWCA Columbus, where I spent nine incredible years getting to know uh, Central Ohio. Left there, went to the D.C. office, our national office, worked there for a little under two years before starting my own business. I left the national office um, to help my mom take care of my father who was passing away. And in there, we just created Raising a Bar Performance Group. And so we're almost five and it has been very hard, but it is the best job I've ever had. Well, I grew up in rural Ohio in Crawford County. And so didn't have a whole lot of diversity and inclusion happening in my my childhood. Um, but got the opportunity to go to the University of Toledo and got to meet a lot of great people there. And then I transitioned into Columbus and have built a career around workforce and training and diversity and inclusion over the last uh, couple of decades now. And in that work is where I've met Courtney, and I'm really glad to have her with us today. Well, and Tim and I worked together at Ohio State years ago, so we've been great colleagues ever since, and he was supportive of my agency uh, when I was the executive director. Courtney and I actually have very similar backgrounds. It's like, you know, she was following me around in different Ohio cities. Um, but, and you know, and, and I was in Washington for a little bit, too, but when I was in grad school. So, see, we've, we've got some, some steps that we've taken yeah. together. And, you know, that really brings us around to our discussion. We're always talking about our differences, but in actuality, we really need to talk about our similarities. 
I fully agree with you, Carol. You know, a lot of times we want to focus on what's different about us. But if we start with what our commonalities are and, you know, when we think about it, we're all one race, the human race, and we're all trying to help each other, be good to each other. Um, we all feel different emotions, whether it's love or anger. That's part of us being human. And when we can connect on that human level, then we can have those conversations about our different experiences. And our different experiences in life really shape who we are and how we show up in our day-to-day lives. Yeah, I agree with that. I think, you know, there's a fantastic um, – Dr. Frederick over at COSI did this amazing um, 30-minute in partnership with WOSU, they did this amazing 30-minute segment on um, WOSU where they talk about what it looks like in terms of our differences from a DNA perspective. And when it comes to race, it isn't there because we know it's a social construct. We know it was made up. We know it doesn't exist. So when Tim said we're the human race, we are just the human race. But over time, we were born into this system that really separated us, that made us think we were so different. And Mm -hmm. now during, you know, COVID, we now see we're not so different. We all want to live. We're not so different. We all are watching loved ones pass away. We're not so different. We're all economically struggling and Mm -hmm. in fear. And so that when we talk about our similarities, if we can start to connect at the places where we all are, um, are, are hurting or the places that we celebrate, having a grandchild, Look at the babies born during COVID, right? Yes. Who have no idea yes. <laughs> what's new, going on. They just feel new, the love. A new yeah. baby boomer generation. Yeah. Right, yeah. right. So if we connect on those things, I think we have um, a chance of really recreating our world where we all can exist, no mm-hmm. matter who we are, no matter our age, no matter our race, our, or what we identify as. Right. And, you know, too, um, as a reminder to listeners, we're going to have some resources available because I think that's the hardest part for people who are struggling with ideas and information. They don't know who to talk to or where to go. And so if that program that Cosian and WSU put together is available, we'll add that to our resources Perfect. list. That may be something that, that folks would really like to see. So Perfect. thank you for that. Yeah, I think over the past year we've had – tremendous amounts of resources at least come to light. Nice. I think it, it existed prior to the problems we are now realizing truly, truly are there. Um, it's just now people are focusing on mm-hmm. this is available. You know, Zoom webinars that were all about race and diversity, which is great. And and that leads to the, you know, the next question about we have uh, lots of news stories about race and diversity, inclusion and equity. Those webinars and Zooms are helping us get here. To how we've gotten here. But I mean, how, historically, how did we get to this point? Well, I think, Brett, as we look back, um, you know, we used to put re- diversity into the context of just physical differences. And it was race, gender, ethnicity, sexual orientation. And in business, we historically would say, oh, well, here comes affirmative action. Here comes this next wave of government mm-hmm. mandate. And so a lot of folks think that diversity is simply hitting targets or hitting numbers, and that makes us diverse. And the truth is that's not what it was about to begin with, and it's not where we're at today. And certainly business and younger generations have embraced the concept of, well, I want to be diverse because I'm unique in how I show up, and I want you to build a place that I can work and a community that I can work that allows me to be myself regardless of – race, gender, sexual orientation, but also my personal experiences and my socioeconomic background. And so diversity has gone from, you know, we were just looking at data and numbers to where we should have been 40 or 50 years ago Mm -hmm. to appreciating people for their uniquenesses and then building the work environment and the community around those uniquenesses. Yeah, so diversity is just is a fact. It is. All of us, all four of us in this room are layers and layers of diversity. There are like over 40 dimensions of diversity. So diversity is, it just is. We all represent it. Where we as a society, we started to implement these policies or we designed these policies without working with people to actually implement them. So when Tim talks about the number game, we're a transactional society where we're driven by numbers. 
So we started doing that. And over time, we actually started manipulating that. Mm -hmm. And so now we've done a huge disservice to even the body of work that Tim and I work in, where we are now finding ourselves. And there's a she used to be um, the CEO or C or excuse me, COO of LinkedIn. She started talking about belonging. And now we have Dr. Powell at the Other and Belonging Institute at Berkeley, where they're talking about belonging. You have Deloitte, who's done research on what it means to be an inclusive leader. And so that's where we are. We are in a place where we know that we're all diverse. We get it. There are layers of us. And we are a society that has only been going off of the diversity that we see, Mm -hmm. which, again, has been the worst thing that we could do. We haven't looked at the diversity that we don't see. So we've already started. We've already kind of set us over there. But the reality is we are this environment of all of this, all of these people, all of these thoughts, and we see it in generations right now. And it's research about the intergenerational communication, even in a workforce where everybody wants to just belong. Everybody wants to just be. Everybody wants a leader that is humble and committed and vulnerable that we know we want across the board. And so it goes back to the question of similarity. If we focus on the similarity, then we're focusing on everybody belonging. And then we can actually do the act of inclusion, which is creating the cultures and the environments that we want to see. And I think that's the work that's missing. The diversity part really is just, I think, alienating us because it was designed but not implemented correctly. Right. Well, And and there's been some uh, news articles over the past year or so where programs, whether they were correct or not, whether they were working or not, are now being taken apart because of crazy lawsuits. And so, you know, when we're trying to help students at universities get in and be at an equal place, now suddenly, well, we can't do that anymore. And so we're really taking apart what little we were being successful at. I think you make a good point, Carol. And and you used the word there, right? Equal. And and now we've evolved into equity. And mm-hmm. equity isn't the same as equality. Right. right? right. Equality means if I have ten dollars, then you should have at least five dollars so that we both have five dollars. But equity means we're gonna give you the opportunity to earn that ten dollars and we're going to accommodate whatever your uniquenesses are so that you have that equal access. And we really get lost in our society at times that we start to use the term equality and equity interchangeably, and we shouldn't because equality doesn't mean that I'm taking something from you so that I have something of equal portion. It means give me the equal access and give me the support necessary so that I can attain that uh, on my own volition or through my own means. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Right. yeah. And, and I think it's been the problem too from what I've seen too outside looking in that it's those that are controlling the dialogue has they've spun that the wrong way. Absolutely. I mean the the, the reason we are where we are today is because the systemic design mm-hmm. has been designed to get the outcome we have. All right. So as we see different individuals, different populations, different communities and neighborhoods continue to thrive economically, we also continue to see the exact same communities and neighborhoods in our Columbus uh, community that are in poverty and continue to be in poverty because it's a systemic design by those who have the control and the power. Right. right. Yeah. And there's a um, Richard Rothstein has this amazing book called The Color of Law. I think Columbus Metropolitan Library just did a session on it. But I typically show this 17 minute video and we'll put that in the resources as well. But it's a 17 minute video that he did and it's animated, which I think is also a great way to do it. But it talks about the history of our system, how we set up policies, practice, procedures and laws to systematically separate us to system. So it is called segregated by design is Mm -hmm. the name of the video. And so all of this is by design. And so now we have this issue of, well, wait a minute, it's all fair. And we need to be fighting for equality. No, because by design, you weren't ever doing equality. So now we have to go back to equity. We have to go back to where you are now giving resources or you are now uh, making sure that people have what they need, not what you want them to have, which is what we have historically done. Mm -hmm. But making sure that people have what they need. And equity shouldn't be such a 
out there or far concept because as parents, we practice equity all the time, Mm -hmm. especially if you are parents of more than one child, Mm -hmm. because you are giving every child the same exact thing. You're giving each child what they need to be successful. Right. And so we've been practicing equity for a very long time. We practice equity as bosses and supervisors. We meet our employees where they are, especially if we're inclusive leaders. So equity shouldn't be so far-fetched when it comes to race and systematic and structural racism. It really shouldn't be something that we can't touch and see. It's how do we make sure that we are designing a system where all of us are getting what we need to be successful. That, that's interesting on, on the book, um, Color of Law. Is mm-hmm. that correct? Um, I grew up in Linden. And um, in the 60s and 70s, great neighborhoods, we were having fun, playing out in the street. And it's when it became very evident that redlining was happening. We had a podcast with uh, Auditor uh, Mike Stinziano a couple of weeks ago, and we talked about that in, in our community and how redlining made such terrible, terrible change to some of our neighborhoods yeah. um, between the redlining and building 71 and 70 through the middle of Columbus That's right. um, pretty much tore apart most of those great great old neighborhoods that That's are right. still struggling 40 years later. Yeah. And so, so then what did redlining do? It took away access. Mm-hmm. It took away opportunity. Right. It took away advancement. Right. And all of that is what we need in order to be an equitable environment. Right. An equitable society. So when Tim talks about this is a system and it was by design, when I talk about um, the fact that structural racism was designed that way or Richard Rothstein's book talks about it, it is because we took away equity. We took away access, treatment, the fair practices that everybody should have. We took it away and we started designing what we wanted everybody to have. Well, And it's so amazing because when you really look at redlining, it didn't make anything better. It kind of made everything worse. Yeah. And so why they thought that was going to be good for the community, regardless of who lived where, uh, to do that at all just made no sense. Yeah. So yeah. And well, now structurally, look what's happening. Right. Exactly. Decades later. And and this isn't necessarily the, the answer to it, but I, I guess I look at it as those that controlled it thought that we all have limited resources. But well, if, you, if you're in the mindset that everything's unlimited, absolutely, you, you know, no one person or no one entity can have it all. Well, and I think that speaks to some of the prior generations. They wanted to protect their own Correct. wealth and well-being. And now as our community, as our society has evolved to understand, there's more than enough for everyone. Yes, exactly. But that also means that some who have an exorbitant amount need to give some up. They can still have more than others, but we have too many people in our communities that are going without without basic needs, without basic opportunities. And, you know, for a community to truly thrive, to, for a community to, to truly realize their potential, we have to be intentional in redesigning these systems and truly tearing apart some of the physical intra- infrastructure that Carol and Courtney spoke about, right? I mean, putting a freeway through a, a neighborhood – separates that neighborhood completely from a lot of the access points that they need for those services to just get through the the daily right. day of life. Right. Well, it, that's what Auditor Stenziano brought up. You look at 71 and the difference between what happened in Clintonville and what happened in Linden. Right. And it's like night and day. That's right. And it's that freeway that created that issue because those neighborhoods were the same at some point in time. And I'm old enough to remember that freeway, and it was really weird. It was very strange to see this huge ditch in the middle of your neighborhood. Mm. So, yeah. and, and the people in the neighborhoods, some some knew it when it was happening, but a lot of people thought, "Oh, well, we're all going to have better access now sure. that we have right. a freeway." Sure. And the truth is, they designed the on ramps and off ramps intentionally to c- continue that segregation. Right. And now here we are trying to heal our city, trying to redesign our community and do it in a way that, you know, some people are still resistant because they say, well, it worked well for me for 20 years. Like I did okay for 30 years, (laughs) but they don't recognize that their neighbor truly across the way has spent 30 years in suffering and and lack of access. Right. 
So that that really is we're touching on my next question. And that is, you know, we're trying to fight injustices and it's really literally existed for hundreds of years. So where are we at with all of that? Well, I think that's a great point, right? A lot of what's happened for those of us today, we inherited these systems, mm-hmm. right? We did not design them. We, In a lot of cases, we don't agree with them. But we're seeing, and I, and I love to see when, you know, we had the outbreak this past summer after George Floyd's death and a number of other individuals being brutalized in communities, we saw entire groups coming together to protest because they needed that change. And we saw a lot of 20-somethings out mm-hmm. there saying, how did you allow this to get this far, right? It's almost like they're saying to their parents and their grandparents, how did you not stop this sooner? Mm-hmm. And and I'm so glad to see that it's not just the young generation, but it's across multiple generations that we're recognizing, yeah, we actually have done things across communities that shouldn't be. And so – you know, for some of us, we went along to to get along, to continue to work through our own individual space. And for others, we've been fighting this fight for our entire lives saying right. it's wrong, it's unjust, and I'm not going to continue to personally benefit from it. I'm going to commit my work and my resources to helping others and to when I have the opportunity to show that spotlight and say this has to change. Um, you know, so some of this is, again – an inherited system that goes back, think about this, when, you know, our namesake Christopher Columbus landed on the shores, he didn't discover America. There were already a whole population of individuals here. And we started to systemically push those native individuals out. And then, you know, 400 years ago, we began to enslave blacks from Africa and bring them into the United States. And that created a system around, you know, candidly, property and money. And oh my goodness, no person should ever be property. But we allowed that for hundreds of years. And so we have to, as a human society, we have to acknowledge it. And then we have to fight back against those who still hold that mentality. We have to educate those who are willing to be educated. And we have to continue to make alliances with everyone who's prepared to move forward in a more equitable place. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And it's not we make it so hard. It's not that hard. When we talk about 400 years ago, if you were, if Carol was an indentured servant or a slave, when you were set free, because Mm -hmm. you actually were set free, Mm -hmm. you were given land. Not only were you given land, you were given resources. You were given like a cow, right? You were Mm -hmm. given seeds to actually plant your own garden. When my ancestors they were never set free. They were actually put into people's inheritance, into wheels. And mm-hmm. the ones that when we were free, we certainly weren't given that great old 40 acres and a mule that you hear about. Right. So, again, systemically from the beginning, look at what we looked like and how we were set up. And now we know that if we know that race is a social construct, if we know that gender is a social construct, if we know that age is a social construct, we see that now. People who are 60 plus are not people that we should be willing off. These are people who are vibrant. These are people who can have a third career. So we now know that the whole age thing was completely made up based off of maybe then, but certainly isn't relevant to us right. now. Right. So if we know that it was made up, there is a recognition that if that doesn't apply to me and my age group, then that probably doesn't apply to them as race. Then that probably doesn't apply to them in terms of class. If we can start to see it from that perspective, we have a chance. The problem is, and and our challenge, I don't want to say it's a problem, I'm going to say it's our challenge, is that it's hard to see something when everything around you is the same. Mm -hmm. So Robin D'Angelo, who wrote the book White Virgility, she was just at OSU yesterday, and she talked about how 98%, 99% of our presidents have been white. 95%, 98%, 93%, 95%, 98%, 93% of Congress. And it's all these 90, 90, 90%. So you're never ever seeing anything out of your own. So you, we were born into a construct. We know that it's policies mm-hmm. and practices and procedures that allow this construct to kind of evolve and have an identity. And now We all didn't do it, but we're born into it and we're operating in it. And we don't get to see difference because we just keep seeing kind of the same. 
And so then when we see a cabinet like President Biden's, then everybody is celebrating the first. But the reality is we've been diverse racially, socially, economically. We've been diverse gender. I mean, Mm -hmm. there's 51 percent. We are women, right? Mm -hmm. We are. We have that there. But if you never see it, it's hard to start grappling with owning the history of it because you don't really have to. Mm -hmm. And so I think that's where we have work to do is it's one thing I'm here for everybody seeing it and owning it and um, recognizing it. But recognize it how. And I think that's the work of all of us. Mm -hmm. Um, Last year in the election, I don't know why all of a sudden it hit me um, when I the first year I could vote when I was old enough to vote was in a presidential election year. And so this past uh, November, I counted and there were seven presidents that women were allowed to vote for. Seven out of 46. Just in your lifetime. In my lifetime. lifetime. In my lifetime. And so with that information, I started pounding on my young cousins going, you have no excuse. You have no excuse. Uh, and and I we talked about this because we did a podcast on the election last year. My I was going to Otterbein. My dad called me and said, and we lived in London. And he said, "How are you going to get to the voting poll?" Mm. I didn't have a car. He picked me up, took me to the voting poll, which was two blocks from our house. Took me back to school to get you know in between my classes so I could vote the first time. I haven't missed an election since, and I think that. The value that the values that I found as a young woman in the 60s and 70s was phenomenal. But who knows what has happened to that? I mean, young women today really don't have the notion of the historical, just as we none of us have the notion of historical in issues of race. Yeah. And and it's really uh frustrating because when I started studying sociology 40 some years ago, I thought we would have been through all these issues. They would have been gone. Yeah. And it's actually worse. The the sacrifices that were made and we think, oh, well, that's in the history books. That that's in modern day. We're talking within the last 30 to 40 years. Right. Individuals, our neighbors have gained the opportunity to vote, whether it was black individuals or it's women and you think, well, how can that be? Like, how can it not be well, that we change this sooner? Right. And so I think it's critical for those who were in leadership or power that allowed it to continue, recognize, wow, I should have spoke up sooner. I should have been actioning mm-hmm. this sooner. Those who were in the front lines in those 60s and 70s and making that progress, kudos to them. We owe them great gratitude. And mm-hmm. now our 20-somethings need to recognize my goodness, but for, right? but for the sacrifices, but for the heartache, but for the insensitive and racist remarks that were hurled at individuals decades ago and continue today, the fight is still there. You know, the fight right. for equity, the fight for equality to have access is still there. And we've made so much progress, but we're nowhere near where we need to be. And, yeah. and that's that's where the value of those young folks who were out on the streets last summer asking why. And I think that's the beauty of them. I am for everybody knowing history. I think we have to. But um, there's a a gentleman who was talking about the the productive struggle of unlearning things. Mm -hmm. And I think there's a certain age group that we go through that productive struggle of unlearning. We're unlearning Mm -hmm. so much. Mm -hmm. I think the beauty of young people is that they haven't, they don't necessarily know the history. They don't necessarily, they don't necessarily have completely homogeneous environments because now you have a a Muslim woman in your class. Now you have a, you know, um, uh, a a PI young man in your class. Now you have several black boys and girls in your class. Now you have, um, you know, open classrooms where you can have children with disabilities, both neurodiversity and physical, right? So now all of a sudden you're in a class with all of this. So you're now confused as to why 
all of this isn't already existing. And you're doing the one thing that we all should be doing, which is practicing constructive uncertainty. And that's questioning. Mm -hmm. You are questioning. And that is the beauty of young people is that they keep asking why. Why is this like this? Why didn't you do this? Why is this still a system? Why is it still people that's, that are saying this stuff? Why do? Why have we only had one black president? Why haven't we had a female president? The, 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 the sheer act of asking a question is power because it's making everybody else has been walking around. You make everybody living, nervous. Right. But if you've been uh-huh. walking around living in this construct, you should be sitting back thinking, oh, my grandkid is asking me why. Yeah, why? Mm-hmm. And you should be I don't want you to be nervous, but you should also say, yeah, why? Yeah. You know, at least you're questioning yourselves like I, that's the way it was. That's right. We hear that comeback so much. And it's like, OK, it was, but that doesn't make it that's right. right. You know and that- now the changes are you comfortable with? Are you on board mm-hmm. to change? You know, because you mentioned something about, you know, the 20 some, some things uh, should be very thankful for the situation now, but now it's their turn to take the sword as well and question those in power, the question the the two-party system. It's like, okay, parties, why did you not have somebody of color, of 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 gender different up on the ticket? Yeah. And it's still happening today. Yeah. And they're doing it. I mean, look at Cori Bush. Um, look at AOC. I mean, mm-hmm. AOC is getting so much hate. And it's like, Why? Why is she getting because she's vocal because she, and exactly she's, and she's actually kind of just poking the bear and she and she's well she's asking bear. questions exactly why do I get this kind of health care but when I was a waitress I didn't get this kind of health care yeah. mm-hmm. so we there is a relationship and I can't say it enough intergenerationally we have to work together because I think it's unfair to put it on younger people correct and, correct right correct. Yes. because then we're not changing the system mm-hmm. and so guess what. We've all in the 60s, we've all grown up. And then as we come up in the system that didn't change, we end up saying, "Ooh, I have to adapt, i.e. change to survive the system. And before you know it, the kids of the 60s are now kids in 2000 and they are they no longer have the thoughts of the 60s because they have had to adapt to the system. So we need to be changing the system while letting right. the other generations come up and work with us to create recreate a, a new system. But we all have to do that. Mm-hmm. Or a secular, right? right? It's this right. motion. That, that, and I think that that's where Tim's comment about people who have a lot continue to want to have more and not willing to share. Because we were asking great questions in the 60s, but then what did we do? We became the system. Yeah. yeah, because there, right. because there wasn't an alternative. There, I mean, right. there was. We thought we had done what we needed to do, and it was working. But in actuality, it it worked really well for some, and really awful for some, and everybody else was kind of stuck in the middle. Yeah. But so so the kids today can't just ask why; they need to say how can what what are the next steps? What what can we do better? Uh, I agree, and and. Courtney pointed out, right, we've got to have that intergenerational linkage. Right. So so the kids today are asking the questions of why, and the parents and grandparents, candidly, they asked those questions when they were that age, and then they just conformed. They allowed the system to say, well, just keep doing what we've been doing, and it'll work out for you. And for some individuals, it did work out, and for a lot of people, especially people of color, it didn't work out for them. Mm-hmm. And so we need – those young people to say, well, mom, grandma, dad, grandpa, when you were asking the questions, why didn't you fight harder? And and listen, right? Listen to why they, if you will, succumbed to the system. Mm-hmm. And then work together with the power construct and the experience of the older adults to say, we can make change and here's who I know, right? Mm-hmm. Create that network, open that network so that your Children, grandchildren have access to influence and change. It's interesting because, right, my mom never grew up with the notion of the internet. It wasn't even a concept as she was growing up. And now my son, he doesn't do anything without the internet, Mm -hmm. whether it's a phone call or looking up a, a research paper. You know, imagine encyclopedias. They don't exist anymore. And yet, you know, for me, it was go to the library and get an encyclopedia out so I could do a research paper. My son does that online. And so it's that that 
candidly, that convergence of new technology and the new generation, un, you know, saying this shouldn't be this way, and the older generation and their experiences saying, well, it, I didn't like it then either, but I didn't know how to change it, and I didn't have the tools and resources mm-hmm. that you do. So let's work together so that we can make that change and we can be better as a community. And, and the Internet is now, for those kids, making this information more readily available. Absolutely. Which, which, you know, before, if it wasn't that you couldn't get it out of the library, we weren't we didn't buy books when we were little. We didn't, well, we didn't think I, about buying I think a book. it becomes even a better resource because the books that they have in hand are somewhat whitewashed. Oh, absolutely. Quite frankly. I mean, I mean it's, right. it's, it's, you know, it's, right. it's, it's written by design. Mm-hmm. We now know that. Um, and the resources out there to understand historic, what really did happen, it, it's pretty accurate. I mean, you can do some research, you know, kind of yeah. look at two or three, you don't go off of one resource, but read two or three resources and you kind of go, okay, that person, that group, nah, or that's wow, right. did they do a lot? I mean, yeah. that's both sides of the, yeah. of the page of that, but I think – you know, amazingly enough, our son, who's a junior in high school, history class, they barely ever get to Vietnam War. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Man, mm-hmm. we just got – we got to go back to 1700s, 1600s, and that's where we live. Yep. We've got to – we've got to pound that in. we got to know the dates. we got to know the battles. Like, okay, yes, we do. But, man, there's a whole lot of history from 1970 and on. Yeah, and why is that happening? Yeah, why yeah. are we not designing a course that starts not, at 1970 and moves on for 50 years now? Yeah. 50 years. That's a generation. Mm-hmm. That's amazing. And, and and look at the international issues that have changed what we do here. Yeah. Right. Yeah. That, again, we do have to have a basis, but mm-hmm. do we have to spend so much time on that and understand it? I, I think there are just some systemic pieces to this that just – why, why, why? Why, our, why, our world why? has, has yeah. shifted a lot. I mean, when we think about it, when I was, and I'm not that old, but when I was first <laughs> born, right, we had a party line and to to call <laughs> right. anybody long distance. And long distance was somebody oh, just man. outside of your township, right. not outside of your city even. You would pick up the phone, you would get an operator, and then you would go through that process. Children today are logging on and having international conversations or game playing video games with people all over the world in real time without any extra fee beyond their internet (laughs) fee Mm -hmm. or they're doing it at a free Wi-Fi spot. And that that happened within the last 30 to 50 years. All of that happened that quickly and that acceleration of technology, that acceleration of change has in my opinion, caught a lot of people off guard. They weren't ready for all that change because it took so long to go from horse and oh, buggy sure. to an actual, you know, elect or engine that was gas powered. Yeah, horse power. And so that transition took decades. Now we're going through those transitions so much Literally quicker. minutes. Yeah. Yeah. And 20 yeah. somethings and lower, that's their norm. They're that's incredibly probably. agile. For, and Courtney spoke to it a little bit ago. We who are over 30, we have to relearn. And that's hard. It takes effort. It takes intentional effort and time to commit to relearning and understanding how I use technology, but also how I show up in my own skin and how I show up to help my neighbors and how I build a neighborhood and resource my community. And we have to be internally, we have to have that want to, to change and learn how to do better. So so that one to we have to feel the one to but we have to go back to the notion of there is no loser in that one to. Right. Not at all. Yeah, that it's that that everybody is a winner as opposed to what am I going to lose if I open this up or that happens or yeah. Yeah. So. And 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 it's easier to say when you're in a different economic status than a lower one. Yeah. Because it, it's when you're strapping and trying to get food on the table every day, it's kind of hard to say and hard to believe it's equal. It There's enough for everyone. Mm-hmm. It's hard. It really is. But we have, right. we have to, as you said, intereconomic, intergenerational, whatever, we have to pound that message. We can do it. We, we can. We can and, do and this. We, we are making lots of good progress. 
You know, we do have a lot of people who are volunteering their time, their experiences, their resources, and we need more of that. Mm-hmm. We need the people who want to see our world continue to change in a positive way to be aggressive in their work because there are still a lot of people who don't want the world to change and they do want to continue to have, you know, how many vintage cars can you have in your garage? How many Bruce Springsteen albums can you have till you have enough or more than everyone else? And you have to say, let's continue to work towards equality or, if I will, better equity access for all. And there are still going to be folks who have more than everyone else. We, we, you know, when we look at Jeff Bezos and the <laughs> billions of dollars he has, good for him. But how come you have people working at Amazon who are also working two other jobs to be able to afford to pay their rent? That's the disparity, that huge disparity that we have to look at and build those bridges and redesign systems that address that. Yeah. yeah. I mean, eliminate the barriers. That's equity. Eliminate the barriers. Yeah. So if you have a lot, if you are Jeff Bezos, you will never spend all of your money. I'm happy that you have your money. I wish I could be the Jeff Bezos of diversity and inclusion, right? I wish I had that magic answer that everybody went and ordered on. So we're not taking away from what you have, but you shouldn't be creating barriers to the people that are helping you get that money. Mm -hmm. And that is what's happening. We don't want to pay people. We don't want to give people time off. We don't want to make sure that people have adequate work environments. We don't, we are creating barriers or not eliminating barriers for people, which is stopping the access, which is not creating fair treatment. So we are designing inequitable environments while we already have it all. And so if we can get to to that point of recognizing that is happening, but also just get people that are the Jeff Bezos to stop doing it, then that'll be great. And I think an action to stop doing that is when I am voting, when I am looking at who I'm going to vote for, I am not voting my aspiration. I am not voting for people that are million and billionaires thinking I'm going to be that tomorrow. Because statistically, that's not going to that that doesn't fare out that way. Not that it doesn't happen, but statistically, it doesn't look like that. So when I'm looking at what do I vote for? What do I stand for? I am looking at my current condition. And we have an environment where we have so much disinformation that people aren't voting for my current condition. I need somebody to help me now. Right. Instead, we're listening to so much in this echo chamber. We're not going to. Um, proper resources, and we're starting to hear people say, you could be Jeff Bezos, so vote for me. (laughs) No, (laughs) that's not true. So I think an action item for us all to think about is, how do we make sure that we are working, understanding our current conditions? How are we making sure that we are not only eliminating barriers in our own pot, in our own little corner of the world, but making sure that we are actively supporting the people that are taking on this really ambitious and Herculean task of trying to recreate a better world for all of us. How are we supporting the people that's doing that? That's We own that. We control that. We can do that. Courtney, what you were just saying about accuracy of information is so critical Um, We've got this great debate on accuracy of reporting today. The news, you you just never know what you're going to hear from the the newscasters now. It's really moved. Our our media has moved from a service of educating us, giving us information to literally just how much money is the advertising going to be worth because my ratings have gone up. And so it's really a business model of, of imparting information what do you, what are you thinking in terms of you know how are media outlets contributing to this crazy situation we're in right now? Yeah, so this there's a woman named Claire Wardell. Um, I might be saying her name wrong, but she's the executive director of First Draft, which is a research group that combats disinformation. <laughs> and Claire talks about that we've now seen conspiracy theories move to the mainstream, mm-hmm. right. and so we know that, right? We we all can see that. And so instead of having the, um, when I was younger, I'm in my early 40s, I grew up watching 
the news with my family and it's a half an hour and they and it's still a half an hour. And I still watch ABC News at 630 because they just go through the stories. Right. But now we have 24 hour cable where you can watch news all day. And I'm putting in quotes news all day by a panel of people that may have worked in a space but aren't journalists. So now we have people's opinions that we are calling news. And that is what is getting the conspiracy theories into the mainstream. So when I read that from her, it totally made sense. We also know Pew Research Center did a study where one in five Americans were getting their news from social media. So social media, while it's great, I am a social media person it opens the door for anybody to sit behind a computer and put something, put a story out or a blog out or to call themselves, you know, Kerrigan News, right? And so if you're just randomly reading these things, it makes sense how how this is happening. It, we, you know, we are constantly making people feel like they are bad people. But the reality is systematically, it makes sense how we are feeding what we want. And now you have people over networks the guy over CBS who was over CBS said, Trump, I don't agree with his politics. He's a bad person, but he's good for good for ratings. us, good for media, good for ratings. Good for ratings. Yep. So you actually have this person saying that to our face. And it just went over our heads. I mean, right. it, and they, he was very honest about it. So that when we start to look at how an opinion becomes a fact then that is how we have this this disinformation. When uh, John Stewart was doing The Daily Show, I had a friend who said, well, I always watch him for the news. I don't bother to watch, you know, ABC, NBC, and CBS. And I go, what? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. I, I like John Stewart, and he's really funny, but he's not the news. He's not the news. <laughs> yeah, well, he's we, not the news. In our, uh, last year, we did an episode right around the election about news coverage, and, and the uh, the guest, Mark News, who is the news director at North American Broadcasting, mentioned – and I think if we take a look at this phrase and reevaluate how we – ingest the news that we do, you may it may be very eye-opening that we actually look for news not for information but for confirmation. Mm-hmm. That's right. Yeah. So if you really take a look at what you read, what you listen to, what you watch, right. and is it for information or is it for confirmation, mm-hmm. right. it could mean – it could lead you to where I need to have other resources. You're absolutely right, Brett. And we've gone – with the advance of social media, we've gone already past the point of return. Um, oh. When we think about it, and there's there's a movie out there called Social Dilemma, and it's not the Facebook social networking one. This is just a brand new documentary that came out in 2020, and it's the individuals who wrote the code and the programs for Facebook, for Twitter, for LinkedIn, and they'll tell you, well, once you start liking one thread – we just continually feed you more of those things, whether they're true or false, but we'll yeah. feed that information into your, your media thread or your social news thread. And that will just, to your point, Brett, will reinforce confirmation of what isn't mm-hmm. fact but is opinion that's being propagated over and over. And, oh, my gosh, now it's got 10,000 likes, whatever it is, whether and it's it, true or not. Exactly. Yeah. If there are that many likes, it's got to be true. Yeah. Right. That right. that's that's the thing. Yeah. yeah no, or it, I saw it on video, but the video has been doctored and edited now because we have these wonderful technologies that we can go in and and, you know, filter something immediately. And now we, we honestly can't believe what we see and what we hear and what we read at first blush. And that's important. Right. When we go back 40 years ago. We didn't release a story without two sources of confirmation right. that were verified. That's right. Now, you know, anyone can put anything out there in any context immediately and it goes viral. Right. And we've been building this up, this information ecosystem, if you will. We've been building this up for like 20 years. Mm-hmm. And everybody wants to blame it on our, our past president. No, he used it to his advantage, but he didn't start it. He didn't create that. Um, yep. This has been happening for decades, for a couple of solid decades now. And earlier when Tim talked about this rapid pace of technology, now it's just rapid because it's now it's at the speed of light that is just happening. And so we are we are at, a, I think, a crossroads, a crossroads where we have to look at 
if I am watching CNN or MSNBC or Fox because I want confirmation because, yeah, they're my people, they agree with me, then I'm not actually trying to get the news. I'm trying to get people that agree with me. Mm-hmm. If you start thinking about I have to get the news, then guess where we should be going? We should be going to public funded, right? Like BBC, um, WOSU, NPR. Right. Um, I support, I give my financial treasure, full disclosure, I'm on the friends of the board for WOSU, but for a reason, because I support the fact that they give me facts. I support the facts that the the fact that they give me news and they aren't so busy giving me opinions. Right. And that's, you know, we had like 90 some 94 maybe percent of people that was watching the BBC. And we need us to watch that because what what are they doing? They are making sure they cite their sources. They're making sure they have yep. references. They're making sure they're using researchers. They're making sure that they are using credible facts. And and they're really looking at a much bigger perspective and than they're looking we do at here. A much bigger. There, there was an article posted, and I think it was in the Washington Post yesterday, that said uh, this this gentleman, this uh, academic researcher, was couldn't figure out why all of the news was so negative during COVID. Why every story, even when things were getting better, vaccines were coming, every story was negative. And what they really got down to, he, he reached out to other researchers and said, are you seeing the same thing or is it just me? And they, they got down to the point of where they realized the more negative it was, the higher the ratings. Yeah, it's, And it's, so it was never really, and, and going back to opinion, it wasn't whether it should be negative or positive. It was what did the science tell us? And here's the fact, and it, we we weren't getting that. No, no. And, and we have to move away from valuing the sensationalization. Oh, yeah. It, it's why certain television stations, every news event is a breaking news, and it comes across in oh. the big red flashes, and you think, oh, my gosh, what happened? And then they simply tell you the basketball team lost yes. or, right. or something right. that, yeah. that's yes. inconsequential to – a the dog greater, is lost in yes. the neighborhood. Yeah, that kind of mm, so. Exactly. We have had a wonderful discussion. And uh, for our listeners, we're going to continue this discussion. Um, and uh, But we hope that, that you have learned something new, started to unpack some of those prior beliefs, and looking to re-educate. Exactly. And we're Thank gonna, you. We're going to do Thank a little you. bit deeper dive into the workplace in, 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 yes. this, in this next part two of this conversation. So we, we look forward to all of you joining us again for part two, and, and that will be coming up in, in a couple of weeks. Thank you so much for having us. Yeah, thank you. Thank you so much. Thanks for listening to Looking Forward Our Way. We'd like to ask a favor from you. Would you give us some feedback on our podcast? We've made it really easy to do so. Click on the link in our episode show notes. That link will take you to our podcast Google My Business page. Now, you may have to sign into your Google account. From there, we'd appreciate your feedback on the podcast overall, feedback on a specific episode, or a suggestion on what you would like to see us cover in a future episode. All your feedback is really appreciated. Your comments only help us create episodes that will keep us all looking forward our way.